All right. Hey, open a Bible, turn on a Bible, get to James chapter 1. While you're turning there, I just want to say thanks to all the guys that came out yesterday for our work day. We've got a lot done. Um, if you were like, oh man, I forgot all about that, don't worry, we're going to do one more next Saturday. And so um, we, we got a lot done yesterday, um, but we, we discovered um, that Dusty didn't get all, everything at the store. And so... Um, <laughs> Wow. So we it's going to be that day, huh? We couldn't finish yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I threw Dusty under the bus yesterday. They were like blaming me because we didn't get some two by fours. I'm like, ah, he had the list. He didn't get them. So I threw him under the bus. I'm doing it again today. And so, so but we're going we're gonna to do it again next week. And we'll be finishing up hopefully next Saturday. So if you'd like to come out next Saturday, 8 o'clock, please join us. And again, I just want to say thank you to Andrea Kessinger, to the Connections team for last Sunday, um, and to Dustin and Sarah for letting us use their, uh, Paul and I said, we don't have to retire to Florida. We can just retire to the, the Carroll's house for retirement because they got a nice beach at their place. So, um, but we want to say, I just wanted to say thank you for just the great picnic last Sunday and getting together. It was a lot of fun. So thank you all for your hard work and all of that. So, but Hey, we are in the book of James and we are doing a study through the book. And um, just to, to, to recap, to get back into who James is, remember James is the half-brother of Jesus, all right? And um, he is writing this letter to probably a church. Uh, we don't know where, but, it was, but what was happening was there were um, Jewish Christians being severely persecuted for their faith in Christ. And because of their persecution, it was causing them to um, be pushed out of their homes, all right? Pushed out of the community where they were living and they were begin to scatter. They had to go live somewhere else. And so kind of a, imagine that for yourself, all right? You, you're being persecuted so badly for your faith that um, you can't live in your home anymore. You can't live in Woodhall or Alpha, New Windsor or wherever. You can't live there anymore. You, you can't work your job anymore because you're so persecuted, you have got to leave. That's these people that James is addressing here in the book of James. Now, one would think, and I've said this already, one would think that James would have a little compassion on these people. You know, kind of like, hey, it's okay, Scooter. Come here. Let's have, let's have a hug. I understand where you're at, okay? I got some things I need to teach you, but you know what? We're going to take it easy first. Uh, we're going to wade into the, the shallow end of the pool. I, I, I'm just going to teach you some, some basic stuff about Jesus once again. And, and then when you're ready, we'll, we'll get into the hard stuff. James doesn't do that. He's not giving a group hug. He, he, he's not singing kumbaya. He's not doing any of that. He jumps right into the deep end of the pool, despite the fact that these people were suffering very badly. They were persecuted, and he just goes right to the deep end of the pool. And so again, I got to start with verse 2, even though we're going to be in verses 5 through 8, because verse 2 through 4 connects with verses 5 through 8. So he says, count it all joy, my brothers, Count it all joy. Hey, you guys are being persecuted. You've been scattered. You're no longer living in your home. You no longer have your job. Count it joy. He goes on. He goes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So trials are coming. 
He says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And so he's like, you're just being tested, that God is testing you to strengthen you spiritually. He says, and let this steadfastness have its full effect, that you may perfect, be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so he's like, all of this is happening to you for one main reason, your spiritual maturity, to grow you up into the image of Christ. You see, he's not, he's not messing around. He just jumps right into the deep end of the pool of the spiritual teaching. And he's just like, here's what's going on. Here's why it's happening. Move on. Keep moving forward. And now he goes into verse 5 and he continues in the, in the vein of trials. But he's applying it to that of wisdom. And he says in verses 5 through 8... If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without no, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for the truth of it. And Lord, we all go through trials and we all face many of them. I just pray, Lord, that as we look at wisdom now, I pray, Lord, you would open our minds and ears to hear, open our hearts to receive, and that, Lord, you would challenge our wills to do um, what you're telling us to do now. And so, Father, we just thank you for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the context here, Verses 5 through 8 comes right off the heel of verses 2 through 4. It's still in the, the subject of, of, of trials and suffering. And, and he moves from the, the purpose of, of the suffering to now how do you get through it? Okay? How do you navigate the suffering when you're in it? And he's telling us it's through wisdom. And that's the, the message of that's the title of the message, Wisdom in Trials. And, and, and we need to see that you and I have got to have this wisdom to help navigate us going through a trial. And so James gives us three points today from these texts. And here's the first point. Write this down if you would. Trials require wisdom. Trials require wisdom. So again, right there at the beginning of verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, all right? If you're lacking wisdom, now we need to get an understanding of this word wisdom, all right? And, and what does it mean? How do we apply this word wisdom? So we need to understand that wisdom is different from knowledge, okay? Knowledge is, is knowing some things. Wisdom is applying what I know, all right? Knowledge is about facts, all right? Um, wisdom is taking the knowledge of the facts and putting them to use in everyday life. Wisdom is, is more theoretical, where, I mean, I mean, knowledge is more theoretical, where wisdom is more practical. Wisdom is taking the knowledge that I have, the, 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 the facts that I have, and applying them and using them in my life in a beneficial, useful way. That's wisdom. And that's what James is addressing here, is how do you have wisdom in trials? 
How, how, how do you have this thing if you're lacking wisdom? How do you use wisdom and apply it in a trial? Now, like I said, in the context here, James is addressing wisdom in connection to trials. Now, the question I asked myself, and I'm like, well, does that mean that we don't need wisdom for any other area of life? Absolutely not, okay? Even in the context, he's talking about trials, but does that mean that, hey, if you're married, you don't need wisdom for your marriage? If you, want to have a good, if you want to have a good, healthy marriage, you need to be able to apply some wisdom in that thing. If you're a parent, you need wisdom to be a smart parent, all right? If you're a business owner here today, you need wisdom to run your business well, okay? If you're single and you're dating, you need wisdom on how to date biblically, all right? So wisdom applies to a lot of different areas and facets in our life. But in the context of where we are in this text, it's specifically having wisdom with trials. But why do you and I need to have wisdom with the trial? I mean, I get it. I, need to have, I, I agree with you, Jim. I need to be wise as a business owner. I need to be wise as a husband or a wife. I need to be wise as a parent. But why do I need wisdom when I'm going through a trial? I mean, isn't, don't we just throw our hands up in the air and go, man, whatever's going to happen is going to happen? No. Here's why we need wisdom. When life is good and life is calm, you're not going through really anything pressing, no hard trial, no major storm. Would we all agree that serving Jesus is fairly simple at that time? That walking as a Christian when life is calm is fairly easy. It doesn't take much to really trust God when life is calm. But what happens when life turns upside down? What happens when, as James says, you meet the trial? The fiery trial, as First Peter even says. What happens when the storm begins to rage in our life? Um, how many of you know that trusting God gets a little bit harder? Walking with Christ becomes a little bit more difficult. It's like navigating a boat, okay? Um, you put a boat on a, on a huge lake, you know, even just like take Lake Michigan for an example. You put that boat out there on Lake Michigan and the, the water is just calm. There's no, hardly no wind the, the sky is just bright blue. The sun is shining. I mean, you don't have to be a, a master sailor to navigate the boat, okay? You see Chicago. You just go, well, there we go. We're going to Chicago. I can get to Chicago. It's fairly simple to navigate a boat. But now you put yourself in the middle of Lake Michigan in the middle of a storm. I mean, the wind is just blowing. The waves are crashing up against the boat. The, the rain's coming from every angle. You can't see nothing because the, darks, the dark clouds have blotted out the sky. You don't know which way is north, south, east, and west. That ship, that boat's going everywhere. Let me ask you, at that time, do you want to have a lot of facts about the boat? Or do you want to have a lot of wisdom on how to navigate the boat? In the middle of the storm, you don't need facts. You need wisdom. Okay? And so as Christians, when life is good and there's not much happening, it's easy, it seems like, to navigate with Jesus. But when the storm hits, it's harder 
Because just like navigating a boat in a storm, here's what can happen. If I don't have wisdom on how to navigate that, I'm going to get off course. I'm not going to find Chicago. I'm going to end up somewhere north in Michigan. Or I will shipwreck the boat. You see, that's what happens to, unfortunately, with a lot of Christians' lives. We're doing fine on the sunny days of Jesus. But when the storm rolls in, and it seems like the, 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 the storm is hiding him, and I can't see him, when the storm is so hard and, and, and just crashing in my life, how easy is it to get off course spiritually? Or even shipwreck my faith. We just quit on God. We just give up. You see, this is why James is telling us that we need wisdom. Wisdom that when the storm hits, when we are come and we meet that trial, when that trial comes into my life, wisdom is how do I respond now in this thing? How do I respond in a way that I bring glory to God and reflect Christ? How do I respond in a way that um, I don't get off course spiritually? How do I respond in this thing that I don't shipwreck my faith? How do I respond in this thing so that way I reflect Christ to those around me? You see, that takes wisdom. That's what wisdom is all about. So you and I are navigating our way through the storm. When the trial hits, we're not being shipwrecked. We're not getting off course. But guess what we're doing? We are seeing the wisdom of God is leading us through it. That's where we've got to be. The wisdom of God. And so trials require wisdom. But here's the second thing. Wisdom requires prayer trials require wisdom wisdom requires prayer so James says he says if any of you lacks wisdom let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him notice he says let him ask God that is the first thing that you and I need to notice there is that wisdom Where's it coming from? God, okay? James is like, hey, if you lack wisdom, here's the place you go get it. Not your family. Not your friends. Not your coworkers. Not Facebook or any other social media. Not the news. Not famous people. Not popular opinion. Nothing worldly. Primary place, number first place, God. Now, does that mean that you and I never get counsel from godly friends? Godly people we know, we're going through something. Does that mean that I can never talk to? No, not, absolutely not. Even Proverbs tells us that, that the counsel of many makes our plans sure. So Bible, the Bible does not discount um, counsel. What it's telling, what James is saying here is don't bypass God. Don't be going through the storm and the trial and never seek God in it. He's like, if you want wisdom, wisdom in how to navigate this thing, then you better be seeking it from the primary source. And that source is God. Proverbs chapter 3, a very familiar text, and I'm sure most of you know this. 
But Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Do you see the contrast? The, Solomon is writing Proverbs and he's like, you know what? When we're going through life, we've got a choice to make. And we've got two paths we can go down. We can go down the path of my own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own understanding. Or I can go down the path of God's wisdom, God's understanding, and his knowledge. And Solomon says, if you want to pick the right path, pick God. Because he will make your path straight. Guess what we will do? When we, try to, when we try to navigate the storm, the trial in our life, in our own wisdom, in our own knowledge, and the wisdom of people around us, it's going to probably drift us the wrong way. And that's why you and I, number one, we have got to get wisdom from God. But also he says, the second thing, he says, you need to ask God. You need to, see, this is why spending time in prayer and in God's word and, and having a quietness about you is vital, okay? Sometimes we just get so busy in life, man, we are running, 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 running. We just never take time. Even when we are going through the storm, we get busy, so busy in life, we don't have time to hit the pause button. We don't take time to just step back and say, you know what? I have got to get quiet with God right now because I got I to gotta ask him some questions and I've got to hear him. I got to be, you know, I got to see what he says. If I'm not doing that, how am I getting wisdom? Because can I tell you, the light bulb is not above your head and God's not just going, oh, I'm going to turn the light bulb on. They'll get it. It's not happening. You and I get wisdom when we seek it. Okay when we seek after the Lord, when we go after him and we start asking God for wisdom. But what does that look like? I mean, what does asking God for wisdom look like? I mean, is it simply just a, like a blanket prayer? God, give me wisdom and we're done? Or is it more of a specific kind of wisdom. God, this is what I need. Now, let's be honest for a moment. When we are going through trials, the storms, how often are you actually praying for wisdom? Or do we spend more time praying these kind of prayers? Why is this happening to me? God, why are you allowing this? God, how long is this going to take? God, get this out of my life. Those are more often the kind of prayers that we're praying. Now, are those wrong prayers? Should we never pray those kind of prayers? Should we never ask God why? Should we never ask God, please take it out of my life? No. And here's the thing. There are times we ask God, why is this happening? And in God's gracious act, guess what he shows us? Why? Or there are times when we do pray, God, please remove this out of me. And in his graciousness, guess what he does? He removes it out of our life. But how many of you know that doesn't happen every time you pray? There are times when you say, God, why is this happening? And all you hear is crickets. And God's not telling you the answer. And here's the truth. You may never know the why to a certain situation until when? 
heaven. And even then, possibly. Because the Bible says that the mysterious things belong to God. Which means they don't belong to you and I. There are times when we ask God to remove the trial. And he says no. And it stays in our life. It stays there. Like, 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 like even Paul prays for the thorn in his side. He was going through a trial and he prayed three times. God, remove this thing from me. And God was like, no. But just trust in me. Rely on me. And you'll be okay, Paul. But I'm not taking it away. Sometimes that happens with you and I. We pray that the trial would be taken away and it does not. So if God doesn't give us the answer to the why or take it out of our life, guess what you and I need to be praying then? Prayers that are asking for specific wisdom. Prayers like this. Maybe we start praying when we're in the trial, when we're in that storm, we begin to pray things like this. God, how can I understand this trial from your perspective? God, help me to see this a little bit differently. Instead of me always just being selfish in this, God, help me to see what are you, where are you at in this? How do you, what's your view and your take on this? What if we begin to pray and we, God, and we begin to pray and ask, God, help me to navigate through this storm in such a way that brings you glory? How do I do that, God? How can I glorify you and the name of Jesus in the middle of this storm? How about if we pray, God, help this trial grow me and mature me in my faith. Oh, whoa, we just got deep right there real fast. You see, maturity, just as we saw in verses two through four, it's all about our maturity. What if we begin to pray, God, give me wisdom on how can I mature through this thing? Let me not just be a spiritual baby and, and stamp my feet. Why, God? Why, God? Why is this happening to me? Why? But God, help me grow. Show me, how do I grow, God? How about if we begin to pray and we say, God, give me wisdom to see what are you trying to teach me? What do you, want, what do you need to show me? God, what do you need to reveal in my heart? Because as James says, he's testing us. So God, if you're testing me, give me the wisdom to see what you need to test. We begin to pray, maybe, God, give me wisdom. How do I continue to be the light of Christ and the gospel in this storm? God, give me wisdom to help me to reflect Christ to those around me. God, when I'm at work and, and, and my coworkers who are unbelievers, when they know what I'm going through, God, give me the wisdom that the light of Christ shines to them in the middle of this. You see, that's wisdom. That is praying specifically for wisdom. It's not just a blanket, God, give me wisdom, but God, give me specific things that I can be wise. You see, it's all about taking what's happening in my life and applying specific things to it, helping us navigate through the storm. And then James goes on and he says, so when you're praying for this, let's look at God's re reaction to our prayer. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. First there, generously. Some of you may have a version that says liberally. 
It, it just simply means this. When you and I get serious about this thing, when we get past really the surface level of the asking God, why is this happening? How long is this going to happen? God, take this out of my life to a step lower to going, okay, God, I see the storm and it's hard, it's, it, this is hard. But God, help me to grow in this. God, show me what you want to do. All of a sudden, we begin to pray these wisdom prayers. Paul or James says, um, God's going to be stingy. And he's going to be like, no, nope, I don't want to. No, nope, no, no. God's going to pour it out on you. Because all of a sudden, we are moving deeper. And we're going to a place where we're like, God, I want, I want to be different in the trial. I want to be more like Christ in this storm. So God, help me to do that. And man, God is all in favor for that. And he will pour it out generously and give you ideas and answers, ways of looking at storms differently, to navigate it in a way that's going to be good for your good and for his glory. And then he goes on. He says, God will give generously to all without reproach. That without reproach, it means that God will give without finding fault. The NIV actually says without finding fault. But God, when you and I begin to pray these things, he's going to give it generously without finding fault. What does that mean, without finding fault? Um, Psalm 103 is a great promise. It, it says that God knows how you and I are made. He knows that you are but from dust. That's a pretty bad situation right there. God looks at us and goes, I know how they're made. But yet... He looks at us knowing how we're made. And yet when we come to him in all honesty and just go, God, I am so frightened in this thing. God, I don't have a clue how this is working out. God, I don't know how to navigate this storm without maybe bringing embarrassment to you. God, I don't know how to navigate the storm without the possibility of getting off course. God, I don't want to do that. It's amazing that God looks at us in our weaknesses, in our frailty, in our, in our times of vulnerability, and he knows exactly how we're made. And he's just like, I get it. I understand where you're at, and I'm still going to give wisdom to you. It just makes me feel like I'm so glad I don't have to clean myself up and, and get myself at a place where I'm like, I think God will look at me and think, you can handle some wisdom no, he looks at us going, you can't handle wisdom, but I'm going to give it to you because you need it. He gives it to us liberally, generously, without finding fault. So, trials need or require wisdom. Wisdom requires prayer. Here's the third thing. Prayer requires faith. In order to get the wisdom we ask, and God's going to give it generously without finding fault. And so the requirement to receive it is not based on me. It's not about who I am. It's not about what I can do. It's not about how clean I am or how religious I am or how spiritual I am. It's not about me. There's only one requirement that God asks of us in order to receive this. Faith. Look what he says. So if you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. Hmm. Faith, no doubting. That seems pretty simple. 
We ask in faith and just don't doubt. But the question we've got to ask is, what does it mean to ask in faith? What does it mean to have faith? And I think this is where some teaching in the church have gotten some Christians sideways, sidelined, or even shipwrecked. Because some teach faith is this. Faith is you wanting something done in your life. You want something in your life and you want God to give it to you. You want God to do it. You want God to show up. You want God to do things on your terms. So praying in faith is, God, here's what I want. Here's what I want you to do. And I just continue to pray with a positive confession. I say positive prayers to God. And if I just keep praying positively to God, just say these nice, awesome prayers to God, God will do what I want. That's not faith. And unfortunately, you have a lot of people who hear that and go, okay, I want a new house. I want a new car. I want a new job. I want a new whatever. I want a better this. I don't want to be sick. I want to be healthy. So, hey, you know what? If I just begin to say, okay, God, I don't want cancer anymore. So I believe that I don't have cancer and I'm thanking you. You are healing me. And when they don't receive it, you get Christians that get angry at God and go, you know what? I was told if I just have positive faith and I pray these positive prayers, God will give me what I want. It didn't happen. So this faith thing doesn't work. And they stop. You see, the problem is, the problem is not with God, but with us. And it's a misinformation. It's wrong teaching. You see, faith isn't about me getting God to do what I want. Faith is me believing what God has said he will do. Did you hear that? It's not me saying, God, this is what I want you to do. It's me believing what God said he will already do. It's believing his promises. You see, faith is, is exercising myself in a way that says, okay, um, I trust God. I, I don't know how the situation is going to change, but I trust God. I, I don't have the answer but I trust that God does. I, I don't see where the money's coming from, but I trust in God's provision. You see, faith is trusting. Just it's, it's like a complete surrender in my trust to God's goodness, God's graciousness, God's provision, God's faithfulness. It's everything the Bible says about God, and I trust it. That's faith. Faith is not stepping out going, well, I want that new house, so I'm going to go buy it, and I'm going to believe God will bring the money. I'm going to step out and do something, and I'm going to believe God, he's going to put all the pieces together. That's presumption. That's not faith. Faith is when I lose my job, and I don't know where the money's coming from to say, God, I trust you. My faith is in you, God, because you are the God that will provide. You are the God that will take care of me and my family. And I am going to believe that you will provide a job. I am going to believe that you will supply all my need because your word promises me. You will supply all of my need according to your glorious riches. So God, I have faith that you'll do that. That's believing in the promise of God. When, you, when we have loved ones, a, a, a husband, a spouse, a child, family members that we care for and dearly love who don't serve Christ, they're lost. And man, you've tried to witness to them and they look at you like a cow staring at a new gate. 
They don't want to hear it. And so what do you do? Do you keep trying to ram the Bible down their, their throat? Or do you back up and go, God, they're in your hands. God, I can't change their heart. I can't change their mind about you. But God, I know you can because I know you want all people to be saved. You want people to come to know Christ and grow in him. And that means my husband. That means my wife. That means my child. And I'm going to trust you, God. You're at work in their heart. And you're going to... That's faith in that. You see, that's faith when you don't see it. It's believing God to do it. It's not saying this is what I want. So God, you've got to get it done. That's not faith. Faith is saying that God has already said it, and I'm going to believe he's going to do it. That's faith. And so James says, he says, you got to have faith and not doubt. Because he says, he says, the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now we need to define doubt. Does doubt mean that when you and I have that temporary, like, what if God doesn't show up? Anybody other than me have that? Let's be honest. You're in church. Can't lie. We all have those moments where I think we have that temporary, like, I, I don't know. But then something shakes us up and we get back to trusting God. John the Baptist had that moment when he was in prison. How, are we sure that Jesus is the one? Disciples? Man, they were just men of faith all the time, weren't they? No, no. There were times where they're looking at Jesus going, how do we know? Peter's walking on the water, doing great, until when? He sees the wind and the waves and the water, and then he doubts. And each time, Jesus doesn't say, that's it, I'm done with you guys, just I'm, I'm walking away. No, he looks at him and says, why are you doubting? Just have faith in me. You see, the kind of doubting that James is talking about here isn't that temporary where we, oh, I just don't know, and, but we get back into it. This has to do more with my actions. This has to do more with my doubts hurting my relationship with God. It, 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 it's my doubts that keep me from believing him and his word. This kind of doubt is what um, the nation of Israel dealt with when they came out of Egypt. They were like all fired up for God one day. They see God do a miracle and they're like, oh, God is awesome. Until when? The next trial hits. And then when the next trial hits, they're like, oh, who's this God? Where's this God? Let's make our own gods. And they're, you know, grumbling against God and against Moses. And then the next day they're like, oh, God's so good. And they're in and they're out, in and they're out. And God's like, you know what? You guys are, ugh, forget it. You're never going into the promised land. For 40 years, you're going to be in this desert because you don't trust me. You see, and there are Christians like that. Christians who, as long as life is good, man, I trust God. I'm coming to church. I'm worshiping. Oh, I'll go to Bible study. It's all good while it's calm. There's no wind, no waves. Nothing. Life is good, man. I, I, I'll serve God all day long. But as soon as the storm hits and they're in that trial, nope, I'm done. That that's the way God is. I don't want God. And they don't come to church anymore. They don't read their Bible anymore. They don't go to any kind of group. They're done, man. They're just like, until when? The trial passes and everything's good again. You see, 
they're like the wave tossed back and forth. And James gives a promise here. He, see, in this text, there's two promises. That if you ask, he will give. But if you doubt, he says, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man and stable on all his ways. You see, God looks at people who doubt in a way, he's like, I can't give these people anything because one day they love me, one day they don't. One day they're trusting me with everything, but next day they don't. So you know what? I can't do anything with these people. They're double-minded. They're, they're, like, they're just scared. He's like, I need someone who will trust me. Trust and doubt. I, I think of like, um, compare it to like a, a um, pressurized submarine. When a sub goes into the water, it's okay. It, it could be unpressurized for a certain amount of depth. But there comes a moment in that ocean when it goes down to several hundred feet that if they don't pressurize the inside, that sub will go. <clears throat> because the pressure from the outside is so much more, it will crush the submarine. So the submarine has to be pressured within in order to be stabilized and stabilize the pressure from without. So when the submarine is going down and it's pressurized, it can go down 400, 500, 600 feet. It can go to the blackest of blackest parts of the ocean where there's no sun breaking through. It is dark and the pressure of that stub is stabilized. Why? Because the pressure within is enough. And the pressure without cannot do anything to it. You see, there's too many Christians who don't have the pressure within. They don't have the faith to say, I trust God with everything. But when I am unstable in all of my ways, when I am double-minded, I'm trusting God on Monday, but come Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm out of God. Oh, things are good. There's no pressure inside. And guess what? The pressure from the outside is crushing so many Christians today. I'm telling you, the past year and a half have crushed Christians. We have gotten our eyes off of, we've gotten our eyes off of God and onto everything else. And the pressure of the, the world has crushed Christians. And Christians are like, I don't need, I don't want to go back to church. I'm done with God. I don't want this stuff anymore and crushing them because the stabilization of faith within is gone. You see, you and I need to have a faith in God that says, I don't need the answer. I don't need to see the solution. I may not know the next step, but if God will give me wisdom, I can navigate this thing. I can walk through this thing because he's with me. I trust him and he will make my path straight. That is pressurized stability faith. And if you don't have that, the circumstances on the outside will crush you. You've got to come back to that place where you can go, God, I trust you. Come back to that place of the song that we sang. Can you say, it is well with my soul. 
It is well because, God, I trust you. It is well because, God, I know you. It is well, God, because you have made promises and you can't break them. It is well, God, because I know you love me and you care for me and you're taking care. God, I know you. I know the character that is defining your word and I trust you. Are you there today? If not, you got to get back to that place where you just say, God, it's all yours. It's all yours. Give me the wisdom to know how to trust you through all this. Let's pray. If you would, just bow your head. Just be quiet before the Lord right now. Don't be thinking about getting out of here. Don't be thinking about lunch. Where are you at in your faith? Where are you at in your trust? Is the pressure of the outside more than the pressure on the inside? Is the pressure of what you've been going through in the storm, the trial, is it crushing you? Or do you feel stable? Do you feel strong because you know, you're like, I trust God. Or are you the double-minded person, unstable in all your ways, and you're being tossed back and forth? If that's you right now, you need to come to that place where you just go, Jesus, I repent. Forgive me of my unstable faith. Forgive me of my unstable thinking, my unstable mind. Help me to trust you once again, just wholeheartedly, God. Give me the wisdom today, Father, to navigate the storm, to navigate the trial. Help me today, God. Give me the wisdom to know how can I live in a way that honors you, glorifies you, and reflects Christ through this thing. And I want to believe that as you just begin to just confess where your heart is, I'm telling you, God restores, He removes, He forgives, and cleanses, and He will give you wisdom generously. And so, God, I just pray that as people have their heads bowed and they're just honestly, Lord, looking within, Lord, I pray that they will trust you. That, Lord, even in the storm, when we know that storm hides your face and it causes you to seem like you're a, a million miles away. And God, we feel the pressure of life just coming in on us. I pray, Lord, that we can get back to that place to say, I trust in the God who is indescribable. I trust in the God who is immovable. I trust in the God who is a rock that doesn't move. And I just pray, God, you'll make yourself very real. And Lord, help us all to come to that place where we can pray for wisdom. Because we all know that the trial's coming. The storm will come. Lord, help us to navigate that storm. Help us to walk through that trial in a way that brings you glory. So Father, we do thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's all stand and close.